PJ Coogan and Kitchen Table Productions present 20 Minutes With, a short podcast for a busy world. Hello once again, welcome to another new episode of 20 Minutes With. My guest today is someone who, were it not for a terrible tragedy in her family back in January 2016, would most likely be happily travelling the world running the engine room on a big ship. But ever since her brother Alex died, after he took a drug called an N-bomb, Nicole Ryan has made it her life's work to try to ensure no other family ever has to go through that again. What started as an awareness workshop travelling around to schools is now an award-winning start-up company called Alex's Adventure. Nicole, I think you are probably more reluctantly well-known than anybody I've met in a long time. You never intended to be this well-known. You never intended to be doing what you do now. You were a marine engineer and loving it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, Personally, I just never thought I'd be so well-known. I still don't know to the extent of how I'm known. You know, to me, I'm just Nicole, and I just do what I do. Uh, But, yeah, I love marine engineering. I had built my whole future on it. You know, I wanted to be chief engineer. I wanted to be running the engine room. I studied so hard for it fought my way to um to see really being the only girl in the class um and yeah I had envisioned my whole life it came about just by chance really um I wanted to be a beautician and I did my work experience in fifth year for three days at my local beauticians and I just didn't think it was for me it right. just was, wasn't great um so I then one of my friends who was in TY at the time uh wanted to do marine engineering so his cousin was studying there, so he said, oh, do you want to come up for the open day? And I did. And I kind of fell in love with it then. Mm. And so I went No down. background in the family or nothing? It was no, 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 nobody's went to sea, um, none of that. No Navy in the family? No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was, uh, I was just kind of was the first, really, just random enough. Um, but yeah, I loved it. It was very difficult now. It was a very difficult course, to be fair. Um, but I got through it mm. and I went to sea. And that was that was. Had you, had you qualified? Yeah. Yeah. I graduated in 2015, um, in this or in October, right. and then just went to see the start of November. And were you? Who were you working with when you were at sea? I was at Irish Ferries right. at the time. Yeah, so we were sailing from Rosslare to um, Cherbourg and Hollyhead, that kind of route. Yeah. Yeah. And that was for, that was the, the the future as you thought planned out. Yeah. Obviously, I thought that I might you know go working on tankers or cruise ships, ideally super yeah. yachts then. But uh, yeah, that was the kind of the starting point yeah. of the career. And then the phone call came. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it was just kind of probably my worst nightmare. I always thought like, you know, if I got a phone call, what would happen? Mm. Um, Where were you at the time? I was sailing. We were sailing back to Ross Lair, luckily enough, from um, Sherbrooke. Mm. 16 hour sail overnight. So I had no reception or anything like that. So as we were coming into port, uh, I started to get reception. I got all these messages from my mother. Um, I just thought she wanted to chat, didn't think anything of it. Mm. And then I called her and, you know, she just said, Alex is a CH, um, he's in critical condition, that was it. Mm. Initially, like, I thought, it, I just didn't react normally, like, I didn't react as if I thought I would. Yeah. I actually went down to the engine room and I did the morning briefing, as I always did, and I then said I better call her. And then the second time I called her, I kind of registered what was going on. Mm. Um, then I got the bus down from Rosslare Airport and it took me about two and a half hours to get down to Cork. Mm. My friend met me then and he dropped me out to CUH. Mm. And I'm not going to put you through that story again because you've told me and you've told everybody a hundred times. 
Alex passed away and then you had a funeral and then you had all those things and there was a court case and all of that. At what point did you decide, I'm not going back to sea, I need to do something? And where did, this, where did the inspiration come to do something different? Um, I did it actually very quickly. I did two months after he passed away. But um, I think I couldn't go back to sea because for me all my life, it had always just been me, my mother and my brother. So everything I'd built for him was for him, really, you know, to yeah. build a future for him. And he died, and I never, like, calculated that fact. Like, yeah. I always thought that, okay, mom might uh, die, and that's just the natural order of things, and then we'll continue, and, you know, we'll have this happy life. And then when he died, all of a sudden, everything that I did to that point didn't matter anymore. The entire life plan was up in a heap. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I'd lost everything, and all my dreams died when he died. Yeah. So at that point, I had nothing to lose. I had nothing else, mm. so I suppose I just kind of thought about how we talked. And was it sorry? Was it that you like you didn't? One of the reasons you didn't go back to sea was because you didn't want your mum to be here on her own. Is that it? That he was with her, or was it that just you kind of said, "Do you know what? No, there's something different here." Were you inspired to try to prevent this ever happening to somebody else again? I was, but not to the extent that I am now. Yeah. I mean, initially, I just thought, you know, yeah, I had no choice really. Yeah. I had to stay home for the while. And the only thing I wanted to do initially was to leave. I wanted to go away, start again, where nobody knew who I was. Because yeah. it was such a big story and I just hated all the attention. Yeah. And I just wanted to go, but I couldn't leave my mother alone. And then I started to think, you know, what, what, can, I, what can we do to prevent something like this happening again? And I knew that nothing was going to change kind of policy-wise or anything like that because it's happened since and mm. it keeps happening. Mm. Um, but what way can I contribute something back to society, I suppose, and to kind of help young people understand the dangers of something mm. like this? Mm. Initially, there's a surge, isn't there? And it's kind of part of grief. There's a surge to change the world, and you have to wait for the grief, not set past, but to settle, and then think again, well, is this really what I want to do? Did you go through that? Yeah, I think I'm still going through that, to yeah. be honest with you. <laughs> I don't think it kind of goes away. Um, I've just kind of evolved, really, yeah. as a person myself. Um, I think the grief is what has, like, it's a way of me grieving, is to channel all of my energy that I can't put out in other ways, yeah. per se, um, into this. So, like, to me, this is, like, this is the grief that I feel for him that I can express in a positive way. Mm. Um, Definitely not something that I initially saw myself doing. I was never a speaker. Yeah. yeah nothing like I've that. seen the talk that you do. I've seen it on video. I've never seen you give it live, but I've seen it on video. And I can see in your eyes when you're talking, you're back in that ward every time. Yeah, yeah, it's all the time. You're always there. Like, when you go back to the store, you can feel every emotion that you felt there, smell, everything. You can see it. You can physically be put yourself back into that situation that I was in every single time. And in a room full of young people, it's very hard to get silence. You get, you could drop a pin. And, and that must have, the first time you did that. Uh, the first time I was petrified because it was in all boys school. And I didn't, I know what boys are like in secondary school. Um, so I was just, I was really scared. Um, I thought, you know, maybe they won't care. Maybe they'll start laughing. I don't know. Mm. Hadn't a clue. And then I did it and... It was such a shock to me, as much as it was to them, that like 
was like, okay, maybe there is something here. Like, like clearly they're taking, like they're taking something away from this. If they're this silent, they must be interested in this. And usually, like, you know, you can you don't really do lessons more than forty minutes, but the workshop is always an hour, mm. and for the whole hour, they're always it's always the same reaction. Yeah. There's never somebody that like goes off on one or anything like that. Did Not you devise it yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole structure, it's changed over the last three years, like compared to the very first time I did it to the kind of like the first year to now. Mm. It's changed quite a lot, yeah. And it'll keep evolving. And has anybody ever refused to take it on? I've never had anybody refuse to take it on, no. Um, I've had many repeats where I come back every year to talk to a new group of students, people or even students that I've talked to previous have heard it a second time. Um, the only time I've ever got kind of, I suppose, a bit of backdraw is there was a school, but I think the school maybe thought that they didn't have an issue. Mm. And that often happens where it's kind of like, oh, but we don't have an issue of this here. But you do. Mm. It's everywhere. And, you know, mm. they acknowledge that. And they just, yeah. you know. One of the things you've often said to me on radio is we have to get it out of our heads that this isn't a small problem. This is mainstream. This is everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it's everywhere, absolutely everywhere. It's not just Cork City, it's not just Limerick City. It's the rural towns are nearly worse or rampant with it because there's nothing to do in a rural town. Like mm. my own town, my hometown in Mill Street, there's nothing for young people to do. You know, we, we don't have the same kind of culture that we used to have when I was growing up. We just hang around the park and stuff. They just don't do that anymore. And they're looking for other ways to, I don't know, get their kicks or whatever and it's just really changed social media everything all these other influencing factors mm. help them make that decision mm. um, which isn't always a correct one and of course social media makes it easier to get the stuff oh yeah 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 I mean people selling drugs on Snapchat you know it's not mm. difficult to get it yeah and, and I mean there's drugs and there's drugs like you've often said to me look cannabis people are going to smoke cannabis people are going to take ease people are going it's the, it's the stuff the, the synthetic stuff and no matter how many people you talk to that's that's the real problem it's the real problem I mean there's dangers with illicit drugs yeah. also yeah but my, there is because a lot of the time they're caught with the synthetic stuff nowadays um, it's just trying to open young people's eyes to like this can happen and this is a reality mm. um, the whole point of it is never to be you know don't do it because Sure, we can all say, don't do it. They're still going to do it. <laughs> um, but just to help them make that choice. Take me through a typical workshop where you come and you, you, you do your, your talk. Mm. And then, I suppose, the floor opens to questions. They, they question you or they ask you, don't they, about what happened. And you have to go through that again and again and again. Um, it depends, really. Sometimes, very rarely, do they go through because the workshop is structured in such a way that I introduce myself. You know, I tell them a little bit about how Alex was as a person, mm. and then we go into the fun stuff of learning actually about the substances, doing the demos, playing the games. I'm asking them questions. It's quite interactive, and then I go into the depth of the story of the four days, minute by minute, so mm. they are aware of the story at the end. Mm. Um, so you've done the light stuff first. Yeah, we're doing the fun stuff, we're doing the light stuff, the interactive stuff. Yeah. Uh, they're all having a laugh, we're all joking and messing, but then hit, it hits home the reality of mm. what happened. And that kind of hits home with them then, because mm. they can see, okay, we've learned something, we've taken something out of this, but this actually happened to somebody. Like, mm. this person's right in front of us, and yeah. they're telling us this. Yeah, yeah. It's not just something that we read. Yeah, and when you're looking down at the rows of chairs, 
can you sense people that might be trying stuff and looking up at you going, shit, I need to listen to this. Oh, you get that all the time, yeah. Because you know, like, after a while, you just kind of know the kind of groups, you know, the yeah. messers and stuff like that. And you know that they, they're just more predispositioned to do this kind of stuff. But they all go silent at the end. Like, I was in a fantastic school out in Cove last week. And there's been just clicks. Of course, every school has clicks, you know. And it was just such a testament because I did the workshop four times in that school. And um, there were two different cl- clicks. One that would be more predispositioned to try stuff because they're just a bunch of lads and they're messers. Mm. And one group that are just studious. And both of them came up to their teacher and they were like, you have to go in there. You have to see it. Like, you have to see it. Which was kind of like really cool for me to know that like two different cl- groups like that could say mm. the same thing that it has to be witnessed. So, yeah, like the questions that they ask, it's a lot, if it's a younger group, all right, like third years, second years, they mm. ask a load of questions. What kind of stuff do they ask? <laughs> uh, all sorts of questions. What questions do I get? Um, oh, like, you know, if you mix this and this, what would you get? And mm. these are like substances. Some of them are very clued in as well because mm. they know this kind of stuff. They've kind of either seen it or heard it or whatever. Um, well, yeah, I think a lot of the time they're kind of embarrassed as well to ask questions in a really big group, especially if your teacher's there, stuff mm. like that. Uh, so they write to me a lot of time. Oh, They'll email me afterwards yeah. and ask me some questions. Sometimes I think the only question that they ever really ask is um, about the court case. Like, mm. was there anybody that got, um, you know, jailed or did you find the drug dealer? Stuff like that, which I'll be honest with them as well. Mm. When people contact you after the workshops, do they ever reveal to you that they've been trying or they've been experimenting? Uh, they wouldn't, it depends, like if it's college setting, that's different because yeah. they're already there. Um, but in school, there's always the case of, um, oh, my friend is thinking about trying or um, sometimes they'd say, oh, I was really worried about my friend and I like we didn't know how to speak to her and then you came in and you helped us out. And, you know, I'm always like, you know, if you have any questions, just ask me mm. or if I can help you, guide you in any kind of way, just let me know and, you know, see how you get on. Like, and they really take that on board. But it's always kind of they're worried about their friends, mm. whether that's, you know, an innuendo from my own person. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I can't <laughs> be 100% sure, but yeah. they'll write to me outside of that as well. Yeah. We have got a huge problem, and the education system hasn't tackled it up to now. Uh, do you, have you ever have you had any contact with the actual department itself about taking your model and developing it as part of a curriculum? I haven't. Um, would you like that? I would like to, but I think it's all about talking to the right person because a lot of the time, you know, there's great, fantastic other things and other initiatives and programs out there in different areas, such as consent, such as you know sexual well-being, mental health, mm. all this kind of stuff. And like they're not brought on to the curriculum. I think it's a bit rigid and I think you, they just won't look at you unless you have, you know, if you're accredited by this body, that body, whatever. Um, mm. But, you know, hopefully... University of Life and Hard Knocks carries <laughs> no, nothing on it. it doesn't. <laughs> carries no way. <laughs> you know, if, you, if you'd done a PhD in some <laughs> obscure university, you know, they'd, they'd be all over you like a rash. Yeah, maybe experience, like, like the program that I've designed, you know, it has a lot of experience, but also has a lot of credibility too, yeah. you know, it's not like just, I'm just making this stuff up or yeah. these concepts up, these are real things. Yeah. I think people are just afraid to do something a little bit differently, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. But you know what we have now is not working. Wouldn't it be a case, Nicole, that if they did, they'd be admitting to the problem, which they still don't want to do? Yeah, and, but that's what's killing people, and that's yeah. the sad part, you know? We're tackling a lot of issues about the habitual drug user, the person that's using all the time, that has an issue with addiction, and that's just as important. But we can do so much to prevent that person getting that addiction initially. Mm. Yeah. We can do so much before they actually get to that point. No. You went and you formally made a startup. You formally turned it all into a business. <laughs> <laughs> and you laugh even when I say that. Like, at what point did you realise there might be a business here? I suppose it's two, two years into doing the workshops. The workshops were essential to like, actually thinking that I might have a business because I did a lot of traveling. I did a lot of research. You know, there was a lot of feedback collected from them. I needed to see, like, okay, this is great, this is working, but what do I, what else do they want? And it was always the young people I was asking directly, like, what do you want? What do you want to know? Mm. And they told me. And so then I did the pilot at the start of this year, uh, which was four weeks with two schools in the city. It was great, but again, I asked students, what do you want? And they told me a load of different things, like a load of topics. So that's kind of when I was like, okay, I need to change because I, I was chopping and changing constantly. My initial idea last year was just embarrassing to say the least now compared to what is now. But that's kind of when I started to kind of think, all right, okay, we need a program that is flexible enough to change because what I found was that every area has a different drug problem. Mm. Some areas it's cannabis, some it's ecstasy, some it's this, some it's that. Not everywhere is the same, so I can't just build something that just fits everything. And there's a lot of external factors that need to be looked at at that age because, you know, they're going through adolescence. They don't know how to make choices. They're crying over everything. Mm. Um, social media is influencing them. Rappers are singing about Xanaxes and all these kind of things, and they think that's okay and normal. They're into fitness, all these other things, steroids, all that stuff. So I needed to build something that, like, helped them navigate through not just, you know, the drug use, but also through the adolescence, the mm. changes, and just to become a little bit more comfortable in yourself. Because um, all that will literally make the deciding factor for them at the end of the day. And who helped you to do that, or did you do it yourself? <sighs> I've been doing it. I do, have, I do well, you know, I have a lovely advisory board, and there's two fantastic doctors in it, you know. Mm. One is substance use doctor, and one is um, a childhood adolescence doctor. Mm. So she specializes in how young people actually make choices. Mm. So that's always really handy to have, because like, I can pivot and shape things. Um, then it's been a lot of research myself. You know, mm. there's a lot of information out there, and it was about trying to condense all that information into just bite-sized chunks that were relevant to them, mm. because it just changes so quickly every time. Mm. You know, whatever I teach now, next year would be almost irrelevant because that's how quickly it evolves. So it has to be. In t I have to stay on top of it all the time. <laughs> I opened Facebook, and there you are. Winning startup awards. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think that's always hilarious. Welcome to Halloween. I know. <laughs> startup awards. <laughs> I know. It was actually such a lovely award to win because it's just in my locality. But for me, I just I don't know. I always I always think it's like a surreal thing for me to win awards. I don't I don't see myself as like this business person at all. Like, but I suppose I have and I am. <laughs> it just takes a bit of time for me to be like you know because when I won, I was kind of like oh. Thanks. <laughs> what do you think the man himself would think? Jeez, I think I don't think he'd believe it. 
actually don't like. I don't think he'd be, he'd be like what like Joe. He's just so. I think he'd be really proud. I hope he is. Anyways, mm. I really do. How does your mom feel about it all? Oh, she she just thinks it's fantastic. Like it's just she gets me to stay at home. Like you know I'm I'm <laughs> around all the time, but. She's really proud as well. Like, she'd always say that, like, sometimes I can't believe that you're my daughter, like. And I'm just like, yeah. But to me, see, I don't... I'm always looking ahead and I'm always thinking of what's next. That mm. sometimes I just don't step back and I don't see probably what everyone else sees. Mm. To me, it's just kind of like, well, I'm doing this because I want to change. I want to help bring about change. Now, I might never see change in my lifetime. Mm. But if I can contribute to that change and, you know, inspire others to start thinking like, okay, well, if she can do something out of this, yeah. well, I can do something too. How much of it drives you to, and we said it earlier on, to never have anybody go through or try to avoid anyone going through what you and your mum went through? How much of it drives you? How much of that drives you? I'd say probably 80%. Like, it's something that we always will have to go through. Like, it's never going to just go away one yeah, day. Yeah, of course. Um, it's just to know, like, it's so horrible to hear about it in papers or stories or sometimes, and then you just know exactly, like, maybe not to a certain level or certain circumstance, but you know what they're about to go through. You know how horrible it's going to be for, like, it's only been almost four years now for us, but it's still horrible. And yeah. it's going to keep being that way. You just... People always just say at the start, you know, you learn to live with it. And I was like, oh, yeah. You don't, do you? You do and you don't. You adapt. Yeah. You just do. You just all of a sudden live with it. The anniversary will come up, but that's going to be shit. Christmas will be shit. It's (laughs) (laughs) It's It's a lot of shit. Yeah. And you just make new things, but it's it's always there. But you literally just kind of adapt and just do off the wall. We just do off the wall things now because... There's no point of us sitting around looking at each other, crying at each other. It's just not going to do anything for anyone. So we just, yeah, we just do like really weird off the wall shit, like for his birthday and stuff like that now. <laughs> well, I think you said it well ago. I think he'd be damn proud of you. Yeah. I'm, I'm you know, I, we'd never have met if it wasn't for him. I'd probably have never met him. But I'm glad we did. And I'm glad you're talking to me today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I'm, through him, like, he met so many people in his 18 years. And like, Without him, I wouldn't have met any of the fantastic people that I meet all the time now. So, yeah. The adventure continues. The adventure continues. Nicole, thank you very much. Thanks, PJ. You can find out more about Nicole's work on her website, alexisadventure.ie. And thanks, Nick, for the chat. And thanks to you for listening. Please don't forget to share the link and keep an eye out for the Christmas edition of 20 Minutes With coming on Saturday, the 21st of December. Thank you for listening to 20 Minutes With short podcast for a busy world. Please help to spread the word and watch social media for news of our next episode.